Welcome to Opus Private Clients Wealth Style Podcast. All of the material discussed on our podcasts have specific themes, and that's to move your wealth and lifestyle forward, increase your purpose, and provide you with clarity and confidence. Opus's mantra is always forward. We have found that regardless of one's wealth, moving your lifestyle forward is the number one priority for our clients. On our podcasts, we'll share our rich 35 years of experience in designing strategies, share clients' experiences, and introduce resources that have positively impacted our clients. We trust that you will enjoy our direct, transparent, and realistic approach to positively impacting the quality of you and your family's lives. Now, on to the show. So, hello and welcome to the Opus Wealth Style Podcast. My name is Yvonne Watanabe. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we have on a really good buddy of mine, Pat Tobin. Uh, Pat is a loan officer with Cardinal Financial Company. Um, super excited to have you on, Pat. What's going on, man? Hey, thanks, Yvonne. Appreciate you having me on here. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we're today we're going to talk about you know the big world of mortgages. It's on a lot of people's minds these days, um, and so I'm really, really excited for you to share some insights with the audience. Uh, but before we start, just kind of tell the audience a little bit about you. Uh, a little bit about the company, you know, give them some context. Yeah, so I um, I actually became a loan originator right out of uh, college about close to 12 years ago now um, in the greater Boston area. Um, I grew up actually around the industry. Uh, my father's been in the business for well over 30 years now and is still, still doing his thing today. And um, I actually work on a family uh, team of sorts now um, with me being the originator. Um, my father does a lot of the management and operational management uh, side of the business. And uh, for the last four years, I've been able to uh, have my sister work on my team directly um, you know, with clients in an operational role. So we've got a good little operation going on uh, in the greater Boston area. Most of our business is, is in Massachusetts from Boston uh, through the South Shore and down to Cape Cod, where I was uh, born and raised. Um, but we're also licensed in uh, many other states as well. We've been at Cardinal Financial for, gosh, coming up on two years now. Cardinal's a correspondent lender. We did about $20 billion in, uh, in loans in 2020, which was a, a massive year um, for the company. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's really it. Awesome, man. Awesome. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy to hear that, that Aaron's involved now and you guys just have such a cool family dynamic. It's, it's really awesome to see. And, uh, and I know how much value you bring to the, to your clients and customers all the time. You know, we've, we've, uh, we've had a couple of, of clients, mutual clients experience that. So, um, I know what kind of great work you do and, and I'm not surprised to hear that things are going well for you guys. Oh, I appreciate it. I, you know, everybody asks, you know, is it hard working with your family and, um, you know, it, it certainly has its different differences than other uh, business, but, um, I think I picked the right sibling to do work with. I don't know if the other, <laughs> the other two siblings and I would mesh very well. Um, but it doesn't mean I love them any less. Most definitely. Most definitely. Well, you know, you, you mentioned last year being a banner year for, for Cardinal and for you, you know, it's not surprising, right? I mean, I think everybody, has been reevaluating their current living situation over the last year, right? You've got right. people trying to move out of the city, get some more space. You have 
people buying properties and selling properties at all time highs. You have people, you know, mortgage rates being at all time lows and really looking at, at restructuring that. So, you know, I'm not surprised to hear that. I mean, what are you seeing in the marketplace today um, with interest rates and refinancing and sort of, you know, it, it seems like an insane time to be in your business. Yeah, well, it really is. I mean, last year, um, gosh, just looking back on it, it kind of kind of is a blur of sorts. I mean, we we started the year Q1 was, you know, pretty normal. It was it was busy, certainly in the the uh, Boston marketplace with just regular purchases. But it was a really good sign to start the year in January and February with with a lot of active buyers. Um, and then, you know, March hit um, with a pandemic and we all uh, know what happened to rates from there. I mean, they 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 plummeted um, to you know all time historic lows, and and that brought in a uh, a ton of refinances uh, for that month. Coincidentally, you know, because of what was happening with the pandemic, and there was a lot of volatility in the marketplace, so that calmed the purchase market for for at least a, a couple weeks. And uh, you know, as soon as there was you know, some stabilization, um, not only with rates, but, um, you know, more so with people trying to figure out what they wanted to do, the purchase activity really, really picked up quite a bit with exactly what you said, uh, you know, people looking to move into the suburbs um, because the city had become, you know, a much smaller place at that point in time with things closing down and, and um, you know, certainly people with, with, you know, young children, they needed they needed larger spaces, whether it be, you know, yards or just more bedrooms and family rooms. And, you know, that really took all, took itself all the way into Q3 and Q4. You know, to answer your question about the current place of the market, you know, it goes without saying that rates hit historic lows. Um, rates have been really, really good for the better part of the last, you know, 10 to 12 years since I got in the business. But um, never had I seen, you know, a 30-year fixed rate get into the, you know, the twos um, and mid twos at that. So a lot of people have taken advantage of it, whether it was purchasing a primary, a new primary residence, uh, maybe a second home or, or even an investment property. And then um, certainly a number of individuals who refinance for, for various reasons, you know, into shorter term loans like a 15-year fixed, um, refinance into another 30-year just to reduce reduce their interest rate. Um, and then a lot of people took advantage of cashing out um, to do work around their house, expand um, expand their properties um, since there wasn't you know much else to do in the in the current uh, climate. Right. But yeah, that's that's basically what you know we've seen for the better part of the last 12 months. Right. And in, in sort of. With your crystal ball going forward, you know, as you know, I can't imagine rates going below those all-time highs. Um, what do you think the trend is with rates going forward? Do you think they're going to be relatively stable? You know, again, don't worry, we won't hold you to it. But uh, <laughs> you think they're going to be relatively stable for the next year or so? Do you you imagine a decent spike? I mean, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, so it's funny you say that, particularly from a timing standpoint, because in the last you know two to three weeks here. Um, rates have gone up a little bit, you know, I would say around a half a percentage point, you know, maybe less than that, but at its at its peak around a half a percent difference than where we saw it in the fall and winter time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's that is a diff, a decent change, but it certainly isn't um, 
doesn't mean that rates are just going to continue to to skyrocket. Um, and it's funny because from from the consumer's point of view, you know, when they've been hearing about rates in the twos for for you know a number of months now, now to hear that you know they could be in the low threes for a thirty year fixed, it's funny how perspective comes into play, right? I mean, that's still a <laughs> yeah. such a fantastic rate. Um, and if you ask people buying, you know, I think basically 2018 where rates were back in the fours, yeah. you know, if you told them they could get a 30 year fix at three and a quarter, they would have been, they would have been floored. And I know most of those people have refied or, or moved on to new properties probably by now, um, considering where the rates are, but you know, it goes without saying that rates have to have to go up at some point in time, you know, based on what we've been, you know, reading about and hearing in the news and, you know, different, um, different publications just regarding our economy. I think that they will stay down for the, the foreseeable future, you know, in the next, you know, 12 month outlook at least. But again, that's where perspective kind of comes into play. I would still consider, you know, current rates very low and, you know, anything in the threes to be very low, um, certainly compared to, you know, normal historic levels. Yeah. It's it's so funny because, you know, you're right. Perspective is everything. I mean, 15 years ago, if you had a sub 5% rate, you were like, you know, walking on air, right? And now, right. you know, if you had a sub 5% rate or anything above four, people are freaking out. So I think it is just, um, you know, a lot about perspective and, and you know, taking advantage of this current time is, is really, really important. Um, what would you recommend people evaluate, you know, whether or not it's a good time for them to, you know, refinance their mortgage or, um, yeah, yeah. Basically how, how would you, how would you recommend people reassess their current mortgage situation? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that's unique to each individual or each individual household. And really depends on, you know, their goals and projected timelines, if you will. And that's part of the reason why I believe, um, you know, I work so closely with people like yourself, um, you know, great financial planners um, and see, you know, because you see the value add that, you know, we can bring to help put your clients in better situations to meet those goals of theirs. You know, what's best for one person certainly might not make sense for another. And you know, refinancing, um, while there's many different reasons why you would or could or should refinance, when it comes down to just the rates, that's that's kind of just a luck thing, right? You know, nobody nobody saw the 30-year fix going to, you know, 2.625, 2.75, whatever the, 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 the low was. And I think at that, you know, at that point in time, it really comes down to like, okay, well, I wasn't going or planning on refinancing, but you know, if I can save X, Y, Z a month and it's only going to cost me, you know, this amount to do it, then, you know, it definitely makes sense for me to refi. Um, you know, but I have a lot of clients who, you know, even some clients who refied with me last, you know, spring, early summer, and we, you know, saved them quite a bit of, of, of uh, money, um, not only from a monthly standpoint, but over, you know, the life of the loan or what they perceive the life of their loan to be. Um, and some of those people came to me this winter and said, you know, I know this is crazy, but should I refinance again? And, you know, my, my response was exactly what I just said. I was like, well, let's take a look at the math. You know, if, if, uh, you know, here's our rate right now, 
it's going to save you this amount per month. And, you know, closing costs are, are X based off of your loan product and, you know, how much you owe. So here's the break-even point. You know, if I say that that break-even point is, you know, 12 months or 15 months, well, for the person who thinks that they're going to be in the house for 3, 5, 7, 10 years, maybe, maybe 30, you know, it absolutely makes sense to do it even though they just refinanced. Um, yep. If it's somebody who says, you know, this is a stepping stone and, you know, we'll be here for the next you know, couple years, but, you know, we think we probably will sell um, in the near future, you know, then it might not make sense for them to do it um, yeah. at that point in time. And, and that's strictly just from the rate term refinance standpoint. But, you know, with many people looking towards retirement, you know, where they're still working, um, but they're going to go from, you know, go to a more fixed income um, in retirement, you know, they might look at really aggressively paying down their loan to, to pay it off and make it as small as possible. That way, when they do retire, um, you know, that that mortgage is, you know, hopefully paid off or very close to it um, to, to kind of make their fixed expenses, um, you know, as in line as possible with what they want or what their financial advisor believes they need um, to, to sustain. Um, and then, of course, you have the the cash out refis, which could be for a number of different reasons. It might it might be you know best for people even in a, a higher rate environment, or to refi out of a lower rate into a higher rate potentially because they want to tap into equity for an addition, and you know a new roof on the house, septic, college tuition. I mean, there's there's a number of reasons why I've done cash out refinances for people over over the last 10 to 12 years yeah it's interesting you 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 know you bring up the cash out refi aspect of it and, and for me what it comes down to is is cheap money you know every time i say cheap money my, my joanna laughs at me my wife laughs at me just she's like i don't understand what you mean by cheap money but you know being able to to refinance and unlock the value of real estate at three percent interest rate right as long as you're able to use those dollars and earn an interest rate in the market someplace else that's greater than three percent then you end up winning on that strategy right so okay. if you decide to do work on your house and it, you know it increases the value greater than that three percent interest rate or you know you're going to pay down some credit card debt that was at a 29 percent interest rate you would essentially make the delta so having the cash be really inexpensive in an interest rate environment that's low just makes a ton of sense for a lot of people. And, and, um, you know, I know my, a lot of my clients have been leveraging that type of strategy because again, the money is just really, really cheap today. Um, and then, you know, going back to your point on the refinance, you know, I think it makes, it is a, it is a little bit of a complex conversation, but a lot of it comes down to when do I think I'm going to exit that property? Right? Like you said, you know, do I think I'm going to be here for two years or do I think I'm going to be here for 30, you know, and at what point is that break even for my savings on the monthly basis compared to what my closing costs were? Is that that's generally the calculation that I think we we end up taking place. It's not always just about the interest rate. I hear you saying it's it is a little bit more of, a, of an in-depth conversation. Certainly. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you could save somebody, you know, a half a percentage point on on interest, but you know, it might not be the best move because if it costs them, 
3,000 or $3,500 in closing costs to save, you know, a hundred dollars a month or $200 a month, depending on the situation, then, then it really does come down to that timeline. And it's not to say that, um, surprises don't happen or, or, you know, life lifestyle or, um, things don't change. You know, obviously you can only plan for what you know at the time and what you, what you expect to happen. Um, but you know, that's, that's the best approach I think is, is making sure that regardless of those surprises, you know, if it's, you know, Hey, I just got this promotion and I have to move. And now I've got to sell the house that I thought we'd be in for five to 10 years. Well, you know, that's, that's a good type of change, right? Like, okay, you paid the $3,000, in closing costs, and maybe you didn't need to do that, but you're obviously moving on to, you know, some, some better things and more exciting things versus, you know, the alternative is not having a plan in place and something else changes. And now, you know, you, maybe you are an adjustable rate mortgage, which I, you know, I still think is, is a great product and has its place um, for certain people. But if that's going to get ready to expire and, you know, that, that's not necessarily a bad thing in the last 10 years, but, you know, and you're going to move to a variable rate, then, you know, that's something that you want to protect against, um, certainly yeah. if you're going into retirement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you mentioned a little bit about sort of the unknown. And one of the things that I try to get my clients to understand is to go through the mortgage process you know, whether that or, or the lending process. So whether that be acquiring a home equity line of credit or doing a cash out refi or refinancing their property, doing it when they are the best borrower possible, right? Yeah. You know, have ha, when everything's going really well, but you know, if, if everybody's at work, you've got cash on hand, things are going well, the market's good, the rates are good, you know, is when you want to move on some of those items, even if you don't necessarily need the HELOC yet, or you don't necessarily need to refinance. But, you know, knowing at some point, you're going to want to do that, I try to get my clients to move forward on those things, when they're a good borrower, because they don't know what's going to happen. You know, I think we've seen people try to refinance their home when they just lost their job, because the cash flow has changed. And unfortunately, like, no bank is going to let you refinance, right? So, right. you know, can you kind of, I think, giving the audience some insights on when, how to prepare for going through that process, and then some general best practices and mistakes that people have made that you would caution them against? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's super important, right? I mean, when it comes down to, to, to finances in general, there's there's not a lot of fun, you know, that... <laughs> that that has to do with it right and and yep. certainly not on the mortgage end and you know i i realize that and that's tell my clients that kind of from the beginning that you know my goal isn't to make the process fun it's to make it as easy as possible and get you in and out as quick as possible so you can move on to things that you do enjoy for me you know and this this part might not answer your question exactly the way you want but the number one you know most important thing to me is that I'm or a member of my team or, or any loan officer for that matter is is asking you for a document or a set of documents just getting them those items as quickly um, as possible but getting the exact item that they request because I can't tell you how many times people will kind of take the easy way out by just getting the item that they see first or that 
you know, they think should work. And it yep. ends up making the process double, double the length that it should be. We ask for documents, you know, more times than we should. And that's when people get irritable because, you know, yep. they got to go back and forth with, with this stuff. And, you know, I can assure you that, you know, at least for the good loan officers out there, you know, they're not asking for those items because, you know, they really want it. They just know that there's different things that's going to come up from an underwriting standpoint. In today's world, documenting files is is very important, especially when, you know, most of most of these companies, you know, are plan on packaging these loans and selling them to Fannie and Freddie and numerous other investors out there. You know, lenders are terrified of having to buy back loans because of, of documentation mishaps. So that's why they tend to over document things that you know, should be, or, or you would think are pretty straightforward. So that's my biggest, you know, piece of advice. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's good advice, man. I mean, you know, it's, it's sort of like, help me help you, right? You're, exactly. you're not asking for these documents because you want to, you're asking for them because you need to have them. And so the faster that the clients can move on it, the faster you're able to get them an approved mortgage, right? Is that, I mean, that, that, that seems like a very fair, logical ask, yeah. right? No, I mean, and that's exactly it. And you'd be surprised about how many times, you know, people kind of resist and it's for numerous different reasons. And listen, like right. I get it half of the time, but if there was a way that I could, you know, somehow project that out there so it could get through to more people. So that way they started the process with that mindset, I think it would benefit not only me and, 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 and my team, but, you know, every, every lending institution out there, um, you know, it's part of the reason why rates are so low too. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're working with, you know, a lender who, you know, may keep everything on their, on their own balance sheet, if you will, you know, technically they can ask for whatever they want. So if they don't, you know, if they don't want to ask for certain documentation because they're comfortable with, uh, with what they have to review and want to lend off of that, then that's great. But typically something like that would come with, you know, higher interest because they want to see a higher return for their level of risk. Right. So, Interesting. um, you know, I think that that's part of, part of the approach, not to say that that's the case for, you know, portfolio lenders out there. I mean, I think for the most part, they do want to see, you know, the same documentation that correspondent lenders like, like uh, Cardinal do, but, Again, the the reason why rates are where they're at is because they can be packaged and sold, um, you know, in bulk, or yep. at least part of the reason. You know, you and I had kind of had conversations about this, and and I've and I've been advised in the past to be careful in how you document and how you move assets during the mortgage process. You know, the, 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 if, if you see large transfers to and from accounts, you know, the underwriters are going to want to know where that came from, where it's going. You know, can you give the audience a little bit of insight on, again, some best practices there on, on how to, um, what are the sort of the red flags that they see that are going to lead to additional questions or lead to some, some troubling, uh, times for the, for the process? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think, you know, to make the, the borrowers, um, life easier. You know, the people trying to obtain the loan, whether it be a refinance or, or a purchase, um, the, the less you move your money around, it's, it's going to be easier for you because essentially what lenders are going to look at is, is a minimum of two months of bank statements for, 
for any accounts that they need for qualifying purposes. Um, so depending on the product, that could be mean many things between you know the down payment costs or closing costs or even reserve assets. And what they're going to look at in those two months of, of bank statements are um, you know deposits or transfers into those accounts that don't come from your employer. So you know obviously if it's a direct deposit from an employer, that's something that can uh, correspond with the pay stubs that are provided. You know, and we can provide and document that pretty easily. Um, but if we see, you know, a large transfer, and you know, large is again another relative term. Uh, depends on borrower, their income, the product type, etc. But um, if they see those things, they're just going to want to be able to follow the paper trail to be able to use that as a qualifying asset. And the more you move those money that money around or have deposits that aren't from your employer, the more we need to source those deposits. And so while that might not be a problem for us, you know, at Cardinal to do, you know, we, we just ask for the documentation and, and if you can provide it, then great. You know, obviously it just creates more paperwork that needs to be run down by each individual client. Got it. Got it. So just having an explanation generally of where the money's coming from, where the money's going, um, you know, is something that needs to be documented, but at least if you have the explanation that, that may add some more to the timing, but, you know, can be kind of explained away. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, I mean, obviously if, if we look at a deposit and hypothetically we say it's a $10,000 deposit into an account and I say, you know, where did this come from? And somebody says it was cash under my mattress. Um, well, that's going to be pretty <laughs> hard to trace. Right. So, yep. um, you know, and that, that occurrence, you know, that's likely going to be $10,000 that we're going to have to back out of uh, their qualified assets. You know, and obviously, it's not like we're taking that money from them. We're just going to take $10,000 from their total, their total um, asset balance and, mm -hmm. you know, hope that they qualify, you know, with that amount. And, and truly, I've seen that before. So that's not a, uh, an obscure, um, obscure thing that I haven't come across <laughs> to be honest. Gotcha. Gotcha. Any other tips or any other things that, you know, you want to make sure that the audience can kind of take away some mistakes that you've seen people make during the, during the mortgage process? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the most important thing and, and uh, certainly when it comes to buying a new home, it's an exciting process for a lot of people. It can be overwhelming as well, but you know, when you when you put a home, a new home under contract, um, once you get the through the initial paperwork for the purchase and sale contract and the loan application, um, you know, I think a lot of people think to you know, okay, how am I going to fill this house with new furniture and exciting things like TVs and and uh, you know, sure enough, you go to your 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 furniture stores or Best Buy for TVs or you know, anything, they're, they're going to have some sort of, you know, store credit card deal with, you know, 0% interest. And, and um, while that can be enticing, um, it absolutely can, can, uh, can be detrimental, you know, to a deal. And, you know, I think uh, best case scenario, it's going to create last minute paperwork at the end of the process um, that could delay the closing. And worst case scenario, it could impact your debt to income ratio and 
and you know make you not qualify for for the home anymore um, which obviously is the last thing anybody wants to see um, so I think avoiding you know opening new credit lines adding to existing credit lines whether it's putting you know new appliances and TVs on your credit card so now it has a ten thousand dollar balance or you know twenty thousand dollar balance whatever it may be I think during the loan process, it's always best to avoid that at all costs. If, if you can't because you, know, you need to do those things, then speak with your loan officer beforehand and have them run the numbers and have them tell you what documentation is needed so that way you don't, you know, you're not faced with contract deadline delays or, or worse, you know, make yourself ineligible to buy that property. Right. And then the other thing which you know, kind of seems seems like it would be crazy but you know every year you you seem to to see it happen in one way or another is just um, even employment changes um, during the loan process and it, it might not be with a new employer necessarily but you know potentially a new position um, at your existing employer and you know most of the time when that happens it's it's fine and can be dealt with because logically those are usually good changes but it's super important to contact, you know, your loan officer beforehand to notify them of those changes. Again, because best case scenario, they can update your file and you, you, you know, you adjust accordingly and everything closes on time. But worst case, you know, you could not qualify anymore because of, you know, changing income type, like going from a W-2 base salary wage earner to, you know, maybe a 1099 consultant which, you know, needs and requires, you know, a, a different, um, different documentation and a different, you know, timeline for that documentation to, to accurately um, calculate it. Pat, as we kind of wrap up, um, are there any things that you want to make sure that the audience kind of takes away as a lasting, as a lasting uh, point? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the thing that I always preach to everybody, I work with uh, younger demographic. I work with a ton of first-time homebuyers, and um, you know, I think that they're nervous to jump into the pre-approval process, uh, and that's for a number of different reasons. But you know, what I always tell them is to get started as early as possible. You know, at least I can speak for for myself and my company. Um, I obviously can't speak for anybody out there, but you know, there's no cost or commitment other than your time in getting pre-approved. And, you know, way too often I see people who are, who are interested in buying their first, you know, piece of real estate and, you know, they talk about getting pre-approved, but ultimately they, they don't want to get into it because they're too nervous um, or they don't want to commit to anything uh, or they're worried about, you know, potential costs. And what happens is then they find the property that, you know, they love, whether it's on Zillow online at night or you know, maybe it's a weekend open house and they'll contact me or another institution and want to get pre-approved, you know, within 24 hours. Cause that's the kind of market we've been dealing with a lot lately, right? right? Where there's multiple bids, multiple offers, and there's deadlines. And, you know, that can be really challenging. Uh, we're available seven days a week to do pre-approvals and, and always happy to be available on the evenings and weekends because that's when, you know, most real estate transactions are done when people aren't working themselves. But certainly on the more complex situations, there's a lot that we need to vet out. So, 
the shorter period of time we have to do that, you know, especially for variable income borrowers with with commissions or heavy bonus income or, or you know, certainly with self-employed borrowers, you know, there's a lot of checks and balances that we want to do during that pre-approval to make sure that, you know, it's not just a pre-approval. It's something that we feel really good about, um, you know, be, being able to, um, you know, finally or, or, or grant final approval on that, that particular loan. So, you know, without going too much into it, I think, you know, get pre-approved early and often. You know, it is going to, we are going to pull your credit. That credit's good for 120 days, at least for our institution. It is an inquiry on your report, but as long as it's, you know, um, uh, one of only uh, a couple inquiries during, during that window of time, you know, it shouldn't negatively impact it. And worst case scenario, you're going to have a really good understanding of, of what your, your borrowing power is, whether you take advantage of that right away or, you know, maybe it's a year of planning or a couple years of planning. Um, I think that that's important for, for, for everybody. Definitely. Definitely. Well, Pat, I, this, I really, really appreciate it. I'm sure the audience got a lot out of it. Um, just tell the folks where they can contact you if they have any questions or want to go through the process. Yeah, well, I appreciate you having me on, Yvonne. Um, my email address is patrick.tobin at cardinalthebirdfinancial.com. And uh, my cell phone is 508-274-8645. Like I said, um, we, uh, we have offices located in Boston and on the Cape, but we, we lend all over uh, Massachusetts and uh, numerous other states as well. So um, I'm always available to answer questions um, for people. And, um, and yeah, thank you again. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, thank you to the listening audience for joining us for another Opus Well Style podcast episode. Um, please subscribe below so that you know when we come out with another episode. Appreciate you guys. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Style podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Opus Private Client, LLC, and opinions stated are their own. Yvonne Watanabe, Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Security products and advisory services offered through PAS member FINRA SIPC, Financial Representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Opus Private Client, LLC, is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Opus Private Client, LLC, is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Yvonne's California Insurance License Number 0H44206. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not issue or advise regarding mortgages or real estate. Compliance Approval 2021-118164, expiry 03 of 2023.